All right, what up guys? Welcome back to Off The Record where we talk about whatever we want. And on, on this segment, we have Ask An Expert and we got Eric here who's an accountant so we can ask him all of our finance questions. So what does an accountant do? And why do they dress like that? <laughs> like what? Like, <laughs> like a samurai accountant. <laughs> like a samurai. And is that how you present yourself to the world? Like in your world of profession, you also told me you're a money mentor. Like what are the, what are the things and services that you offer and um, yeah, like what's your background? Got it, got it. Man, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. So number one, what does an accountant do? Accountants basically help business owners or business entrepreneurs reconcile and understand how their money is working, how it's flowing in, how it's flowing out, determine if you're profitable or not. Um, we also give guidance on how to grow and scale companies or even like, hey, if you wanna sell your company, how to position your company to be in the best position to be able to sell it. So that's what accountants generally do and there's a lot of different specialties in it, just like a doctor. A doctor could be a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon or a, a you know, lung specialist or a dermatologist. My main focus is a, a purely focus a lot on the taxation side of things, on taxation and also on mentoring business owners on how to scale and grow their business. So that's what I focus on doing. Um, in terms of my dress, like, Usually when folks think of an accountant, they usually think of a guy with like glasses and a pocket protector and a calculator and be like, hey guys, let me see all your receipts, kind of like thing. Yeah. And for me, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16. I'm now turning 42 in about a month or so. And I've always wanted to put a different spin on, a, on accountancy. Like I'm not a boring guy. I love having fun and doing cool stuff. And just this is a different way of kind of like presenting myself. That's, that's I think like actually who I am, authentic to who I am as opposed to living that professional, like, accounting type of structure. Mm. You're like a Patch Adams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, patch, a Patch Adams of accounting. I like it. I like that. That's tight. Well, the accountant or, like, so I think, like, um, what I know traditionally of an accountant is someone that works in a big accounting firm. Like, maybe, like, a banker would work at Chase, right? So do you have your private practice or do you work at one of the big places yeah it's a good question too so I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16 had many different businesses and I got into the finance per, the financial planning space about 15 years ago and then I evolved into the tax space about 10 years ago tax and accounting space and ironically the reason I got into the tax side of things was I was making a pretty good income as a financial planner in 2008 this was right before Lehman Brothers collapsed mm -hmm. and I needed a tax deduction and I was like, what am I gonna do? And so my dad for years was like, hey, why don't you take an HR block tax course to learn about taxes? And, just like and you fell in love with it, didn't you? <laughs> well, I mean, actually, like, when my dad told me that, to, like, I was a rebellious Asian kid, like, yeah. my dad wanted me a doctor, dentist, attorney, and I was like, no, I'll be an entrepreneur, so I've always was like the black sheep, and I was like, ah, no, I'm not gonna do that. I ended up ironically getting into the tax space because it just made a lot of sense. Um, and it lined up with what I did and also in terms of how to run a business and everything, it made a lot of sense. Got into the space and for me, like what I've realized about accounting and tax is I'm not really necessarily in love with the tax code, although I'm really good at it. What I really love doing is work with folks on their finances because what I find that there's two things in life that nobody talks about, their sex life and their money. And I'm not a sex therapist, but I'm a pretty good money therapist. That's money. weird because that's all I talk about. <laughs> money and sex all the time and, I, and when I, talk to other people outside of my friend group, I forget how touchy those subjects are. Would you say you're better at money or sex? <laughs> at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty even, I would say. Yeah, pretty Very even, nice. yeah. Even. How, what determines if you're good at sex? Like how many kids you have? 
because it's like that's the end result of how successful you were. Or how many loads you blow not on yourself. That's good. That's good. Hold on, let me get my Excel spreadsheet out on this one. <laughs> so, in order to become an accountant, right? Did you have to go like to school or anything? Because you said you've been an entrepreneur since sixteen. Did you do the whole traditional schooling stuff? So I did go to college. I went to Rutgers University where, where I actually ran a business at the same time. I was in the car, hooking up cars and putting turbo kits and all that stuff on it. Mm -hmm. But I went to school for economics and finance. Um, I was supposed to go to business school, but I ended up focusing all my time on operating a business. Uh, graduated from that, got into various other things prior to getting into accounting. And accounting was just probably in the last 10 years. And accounting, you could either go into the space of being a CPA. Mm -hmm. And CPA for most folks, that's a, either a uh, certified professional accountant, or in the accounting world, they call it can't pass again. You pass it once and that's it. Oh. If, as long as you pass, you're good to go. So if you get a, if you get an 80, you're good. If you get 79, you're screwed. And that's like a, a license or something like passing the bar for the lawyer? Correct, okay. correct. So I personally didn't focus on that. Like my focus was on taxation. So I got a special designation from the IRS, took a couple of years, a bunch of tests to be able to do that. Uh, but in my practice, in my the business I operate, I have two CPAs that work for me and two tax repairs. So I'm not technically the CPA of the business, but I have CPAs that work for me. So what's the difference? Like, 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 let's say you're a doctor, right? If you have that degree, but also you pass the medical exam or whatever, you could, you could uh, prescribe medicine, right? Versus someone who studied it, but then if they never got the license, what does the CPA license allow you to do where you don't have it, you can't do this stuff? Yeah, that's a really good question. So CPA license, think of a CPA as almost like your general practice physician. So you're getting all of the little pieces of each piece of what the whole scope of accounting is. Mm -hmm. Whereas my main focus is on the taxation. So I went straight for that designation. Now the things that I can't do- what is what is your designation? So it's called EA or enrolled agent. That means I am able to represent taxpayers in front of the IRS when it comes to audit and when it comes to tax controversy, I could represent folks in front of it. Like a, like a lawyer? Not as a lawyer. So I, I'm not a tax court practitioner, oh, okay. um, but if there's a desk audit or a field audit, an auditor comes out and knocks on your door, oh, you call me up and be I like, see. Eric, I'm in trouble. And I come out and help you out. So yeah. if I want to participate in tax evasion, you can help me do it? <laughs> we can have a separate conversation on oh, that okay. one. Off the <laughs> records. Off the books. <laughs> Off the books. But you're usually dealing with guys that might have been too busy to deal with maybe accounting it the right way or whatever, and they're like, oh crap, the IRS says that there's an inconsistency, I need help. And then for whatever reason, they don't have to deal with them, they deal with you. Yeah, the most common ones I'm seeing right now is in the cryptocurrency space. Um, just because cryptocurrency is kind of like this wild west of time is the right place. <laughs> <laughs> so I've actually been teaching on different like masterminds and different business organizations on how to properly do crypto taxes and also how to properly set yourself up so you're not paying too much in tax. How do you properly? So how are they looking at crypto? Because are they looking at it as a currency or like a stock? Like, like you know, what's the what is it categorized as? That's a good question. So cryptocurrency in general, the way that they're treating right now isn't like currency. Even though it's called currency. Correct. Yeah. So it's kind of like a misnomer. The IRS is treating it as if it's a piece of property. So think of it like a stock. You're buying a piece of property, which is one share of, let's say, Apple. And then when you sell the share of Apple, if there's a gain or a loss based upon what you paid for it, you pay tax on the gain or you write off the loss. 
So cryptocurrency is similar in that you're buying a piece of property, one Bitcoin or one Ethereum coin or one token from an ICO. And then if there's a gain, you pay tax on it, either a long or short term. And if there's loss, you pay, you know, you write off the loss. But there's a little bit more nuance to it because there's different things like airdrops. There's different things like getting dividends by putting it like a Nexo account. So it could get- Oh shit, you actually know some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've been in this space for a number of years. All right, very cool. What's a Nexo account? You can't just say things I don't know. <laughs> I'm dropping stuff here. What is a Nexo account? What is that? So Nexo is really an interesting thing and I'm not like super familiar with it, but basically what you're able to do is you're able to put your coin in an account as not like, I don't really want to say it's collateral, but basically the bank holds onto the coin and then they actually pay you interest, a pretty high interest rate compared to the banks right now on the coin that they hold for you. Well, airdrops don't have to be voluntary either. So what if I get, cause I got a fuck ton of shit airdrop to me without my permission because it's just my wallet was part of, it's part of all the, all the blockchain. Yeah. Do I get taxed on that? Like if I just had that in my wallet, I didn't sell it or anything. And what's AirDrop? Is that that's not the iPhone AirDrop? AirDrop right? is like um, a anybody can send you a coin. Right now, I could just send it to your wallet if I have your address. Yeah. Oh, free Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. If you send me a free Bitcoin, I would have to pay taxes on it, or if you sold it. That's my understanding, anyway. So AirDrops can be a little bit complicated depending on how they're structured. They could either be treated as interest, where you pay tax when you receive it, or they could be treated as piece of property. And it depends on how the AirDrop is set up. So if it's treated as interest, you'd basically consider that as income. So let's say you had, um, I forget what coin was, was airdrop back in 2017. There's a ton of like shit, shit coins you used to call it, right? And there's- Oh, they still airdrops. do. <laughs> there's a ton of stuff, right? So if it's treated as interest, and let's say you got $1,000 of coin, technically what you're supposed to be doing is reporting it as interest. And then now you pay the tax on it. Now it's sitting in your portfolio as a coin that you have a basis in. Then you sell it and you get a capital gain. If it's treated as property, because it's like maybe the airdrop was just basically a split off of the coin, then in that case, then it's not treated as income. It's treated as, as just a split off of your coin. Then you have a basis in it. And then when you sell the coin, you pay tax on it. Okay. So there's a lot of nuance. And that's kind of what makes crypto tax so complicated is because there's so many nuances in how things are structured. And it's still like the Wild West, where there's no real tax reporting outside of the fiat to crypto on-ramps, like Coinbase and stuff like that, where if you have over number of transactions, they'll send you a 1099 that says, hey man, you had all these transactions, the IRS is getting reported on it. Today's video is brought to you by Curology. Bart, do you notice something about me that's so different these days? Your face and your skincare? Yes, dude, oh my goodness. Okay, so check this out, no joke, okay? I've been actually using skincare for over a year now. Oh shit. Yeah, and because Curology has just been sending me mad creams. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've been pretty much a caveman for the longest time, you know? Like, I really don't have a skincare routine. Like, I just get water, do this thing, yeah. be on with my day. But I realized that, man, I was getting like aging spots. I'm not a young man anymore, dude. I'm We're actually not. gonna turn 64 tomorrow. <laughs> oh shit. So I was like, dude, it's time to finally do something about my skin. You only look 30 something for a 64 year old. Thanks bro, I know. Thanks Curology. <laughs> Thanks Curology. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, so the cool thing is um, they've been sending me packages for over a year and I've been on this routine and 
And what's cool is like, it's super simple. You go on their website, you do this survey and they custom create a formula for what your Based needs on are. Your needs are? Yeah. Oh, that's dope. Like I wanted like tight skin, I got like eczema and stuff. Oh. So I was like sensitive skin and whatever, whatever's right. Sick. And so they're like, okay, we got a Joe formula. And they also have like this moisturizer thing that comes in where it's like to make sure that your skin doesn't dry out like crazy. Yeah. So they have the formula cream, they have the moisturizer, and they have a cleanser. Nice. So I'm actually washing my face with face cleanser. I could tell a difference. Thank you. Yeah, it looks clean, smooth, vibrant looking. If you guys wanna be as vibrant as me, then make sure you check out Curology because it is good for the soul and the skin hole. So if you're ready for healthier skin and a routine that makes sense, do what Joe did and give Curology a go. Go to curology.com slash off the record for a free 30-day trial. All you gotta do is pay shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash off the record to unlock your free 30-day trial. See Curology.com for all the details. Thank you, Curology. Thank you for my face. Let's say I have and um, I have Bitcoin, right? And then it's 2018 and they um, they forked Bitcoin with Bitcoin Cash. I didn't participate in that. They literally just send me Bitcoin Cash. I'd get taxed on that? Yes, you'd get taxed on that. That's so lame. Only when you sell it. Okay, okay, Yeah. got it. Bitcoin Cash is a little bit, that one's a bit of, of interesting because a fork is kind of different than a traditional airdrop. Mm -hmm. So you've received a coin that maybe now has no basis because you didn't technically pay for it, right. but you're granted a coin. So now when you sell that Bitcoin Cash, now it's at, I think it's like 1400 or wherever yeah. it's at. And you sell it, now you have the gain from zero to 1400. So you're gonna pay the, the tax on that capital gain. Wow. So if you go from coin to coin, you don't have to pay? So that's another good question. So here's probably the best analogy. Let's say you buy a, a 1968 Ford Mustang mm -hmm. and you're driving a Ford Mustang and some guy says, hey, I would love to trade you my Lamborghini for your Ford Mustang, right? But let's say you paid 50 grand for a Ford Mustang and this Lamborghini is now worth $100,000. The guy just loves the Ford Mustang so much he's willing to do the trade. So effectively, when you're when you're making that trade or you're making that swap, there is a gain in what you've made, even though you didn't really physically receive the cash in pocket. Yeah. So if you do like they have they have uh, different ways of doing it, like Shapeshift, for example, or if you're just doing it in exchange, going from Ethereum to say uh, SNX, SNX or another coin or something <laughs> like that. So I have to pay tax on that. You technically what you're supposed to do is report the gain of that pay the tax on it, but now your coin is, is riding based on that. We are so fucked, boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's kind of fucked up, right? Because you know why? You, like, let's say, in my situation, let's say uh, I, I uh, quote unquote, lost a quarter mil, right? <laughs> but I can only report three grand maximum to my personal income loss throughout the year. So like indefinitely three grand, if I never go back into the crypto space every year, I, I, I get to write off three grand. But if I make any gains, I fucking get taxed on that. Yep. What the hell? Yep. But it's not double, right? So like up until 250,000, I don't pay taxes because if, if that was already taxed. So I get to get, make gains up until that point, withdraw them, and I already, I'm fine. But if I get over that, then yeah. Wow. 
then you pay the tax on it. So like for example, let's say in one year I make half a mil, I'm only taxed on 250,000, but you know, it's like, what sucks is every year you can't balance it out. Is this all true? Does that check out everything he's just said? Fact check it? So in, in the fact check way, so technically there's a couple of moving pieces to it. So when you have a capital gain, either long term or short term, you pay the tax on that capital gain. Now if there's a capital loss that's built in, let's say for example, you had a quarter million of losses in one year. Now Joe is absolutely correct. The only amount that you could actually show reflecting on the tax turn is three grand. The remaining 247,000 of that long-term capital gain or capital loss gets carried over. And so every you year- You wait like 80 years? Hypothetically, if God, you're not damn. doing any other trades. I see. So if you do a trade in the next year and you make, let's say 80 grand in profit, that gets wiped off against that, that long-term capital 250, loss. Or 247. Or the remaining 247. Oh, okay. So there is ways to kind of eat it up. The challenge with, with crypto is because a lot of folks typically have more activity in it than in their traditional like investment. And it, things are a little bit muddy now with people like trading actively on Robinhood and all that stuff. There's a lot of different ways where you could set yourself up if you're a little bit more of an active investor, let's say like a day trader or a swing trader or a technical trader, where now you can use what we call professional trader status. And number one, if you elect that and elect what we call mark to market, you could take unlimited losses as opposed to three grand. I think we're gonna need that. Which <laughs> might be a good thing. How do you get, how do you get marked as a professional trader? So you have to you have to have a trade on a daily basis and you have to prove oh. that you're doing it on a on a regular basis. And it could be a dollar a day. It doesn't really matter. Oh yeah. okay. But you have to prove that you're actually actively in the market. Now okay. if you if you bought Bitcoin and sell for like six months and that's your only trade, you're just a casual investor. Right? But I don't feel casual because there's a lot of money involved. <laughs> So there's a lot of things that you could do with that, right? Once you once you define that, or once you like create that that election, that professional trader status, you can now also offset your profits by like I got clients that day trade. They have this huge battle station with six monitors and electric and high speed internet, and they have this office built out for it. Now we're like, hey, you can use those expenses to offset your gains and ride that as a business expense as a professional trader. And then if you're marked to market, it allows you to take unlimited losses as opposed to three grand per year. So there's a lot of moving pieces, but everyone's situation is different. So I'm just kind of like throwing a ton of stuff out there. Um, but anything- every situation is unique to the person and you gotta Correct. figure out everything. Correct. So little disclaimer, everything I share with all of y'all is just basic general information. Obviously you wanna see your personal tax advisor um, to, to make sure it fits your situation. I'm taking your shit to the bank, bro. I'm writing everything you just said. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't believe you know about this shit. This is fantastic. That's kind of what I'm learning like in this space. There's no general rule like that can work for everyone because it depends on, you know, what kind of profession they have, what their life goals are, like, you know, how they get taxed. All this stuff is so different. And then, you know, it, that's why like, you know, uh, when we talk to our financial advisor, it's so difficult for him to just go, this is what you should do. Cause you have to have a goal first and like, this is what I want. Yeah, that makes sense. So in, in going back to like what you are, you're, you're an accountant and then you do uh, like financial advising and things like that. And you said you specifically focus on business owners and, and you help them like grow or whatever. Yeah. I see. So what would that typically look like? Do you, like, what do you, do to help them get to that next level? Yeah, so it's been a real interesting evolution of my business over the last couple of years. Um, it first started off as just doing retail tax preparation. I had three, I had four offices, 40 employees, we're doing like 2,500 
tax returns per year. So you're doing like your own H&R block type of thing. We were, we were actually a Liberty Tax Service. So we had four, my, my. Oh, that's your company? They're not my company directly. We had oh, a franchise. franchise. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So but that's pretty, business. yeah, known. Yeah. <clears throat> so at that point, like what was really interesting is I had business owners that came in every single year. And every time I'd ask them, hey, what did you spend on this and spend on this? They started looking up at the ceiling and recording their numbers from the, and I'm like, the numbers aren't up there. And I started realizing that a lot of folks had a lack of clarity on where they stand in their business. And the challenge is if you don't know where you stand, you can make appropriate financial decisions. So when I moved out to California um, about six, seven years ago, at that time I was like, I wanna evolve my business from just being this general thing to helping people specifically in small businesses. Cause I was an entrepreneur for years. I made a ton of mistakes. And my objective was like, not to have people repeat all the, all the stupid mistakes that I made. And then so we first started off by doing general bookkeeping and general tax work. But as we kept evolving, we started being in more creative conversations. Mm -hmm. so I had one client that I sold his business to a private equity company, for example. I had another client that we basically rescued as accounting to get him in place to bring on investors. And then it really started coming together where I realized that we could either be a commodity like an HR block and just do tax returns, or I could be a, a trusted advisor and help people really scale and grow their business. So what we really focus on now is we come in as a strategic partner in terms of taxation mm -hmm. and also strategic partner in terms of finance. So a lot of folks, they hire me either as their fractional CFO mm -hmm. or their strategic like accounting team. And we take care of all the books and the finances and give them clarity on their finances. And then folks also hire us in to be like a tax advisor. So we don't normally always replace like their tax professional, yeah. but we come in and say, based on where you're going, here's a couple of things that we see because we're looking forward. The challenge with the tax space is, the accounting space, everyone's looking in the back. Yeah, it's retrospect. Retrospect, if you're driving down the street but you're looking in the rear view mirror, that's what most tax preparers are doing. And there's nothing wrong with that, it's just the nature of the business. It's like they're looking more about what you spent last year instead of thinking of how can you spend next year better where you can grow it by times five. Correct. I see. Do you lose your shit during tax season? <laughs> I think oh, most of them man, do. yeah. Because my father-in-law's a CPA and yeah. he, he's a different person for like four months. Yeah, I don't even hear from my cousin. In, in from like January months. to April. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a challenge, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I've been in the tax space now, this will be my 11th tax season doing it. And every year there's always, always more nuance to it. The IRS drops, the ball a couple of times, filing dates change, we just had COVID where things were extended. And so it's never it's, it's kind of interesting because it keeps you on your toes. But for me as a business owner and also an accountant and tax advisor, I realized that I needed to build a proper team around me to help me handle it. And the unfortunate thing is most entrepreneurs, they tend to run solo. And especially as an Asian American, my dad was like, hey, you know, the way to get ahead is like do everything yourself, control everything because you'll save money. But the problem is when you do that, you artificially restrict yourself to a certain level of growth, and then you, you get maxed out because you only have so much bandwidth. Right. So just in the last two years, between me and my son traveling, we lived in Bali for two months, lived, we drove cross country for two months in our SUV, I had to start scaling out and bringing a team on. And the moment I did that, tax season's still really stressful, don't get me wrong, but it's a different level of stress as opposed to, shit, I got like 18 tax returns I gotta do today, or like, I'm SOL. So it's more like um, building that team around you helped you balance out life better? Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think what happens is we have this, this weird, I guess, idolatry in America where we think that everyone is a unicorn and you hear, you're self-made all the time. 
right? Like Kendall Jenner, self-made billionaire. She wasn't self-made, her mom supported her, she had her family behind her, she had a whole team. Where people look at Elon Musk as he's some sort of unicorn, right? And the challenge is, is entrepreneurs are, are driven at the direction of like hustle, grind, and do as work as hard as you can kind of thing. But they're not like taught this, this little tweak of, hey, if you bring in the right people around you, hire for your weaknesses, and focus purely on what you're really good at, I mean, you could really grow a wonderful business. So you're saying, I get it, you're saying like Elon didn't, didn't really do that much. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. He knows how to hire great people. I'm not a big Elon fan. Um, I mean, I respect what he's accomplished, but there's also a lot of things that I'm not a fan of what he's done, right? But he's he's an amazing pioneer. People that pioneer. know, they look at him differently, like in business, right? Because you know, it's, there's a lot of hype. Like there's a lot of the reason why everything is going the way it is is he's a great marketer. He's an amazing perception person, which is different from, you know, things that have quote unquote real value, right? Like in the marketplace. And I think that once you understand that in business. There is this gray area. Well, is he is he being honest or not? I don't know. You know, so I, I get that. But then to the rest of the world, uh, they see this person pushing the boundaries and he's like, hey, he's like us and, and he's fighting for the little man and I like him. So I think with that, there is a disconnect between what business owners and entrepreneurs feel of each other and the general public when they look at, you know, business guys. Yeah. I don't like his space stuff, but I like I like the flamethrower shit. Yeah, I'm all about the, the flame. boring company stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's tequila. I mean, I'm I'm a tequila. Oh, guy. I haven't had it. Tesla tequila. Yeah, Tesla oh, it tastes, tequila. It tastes good. Have you I've tried heard it? of it. Oh, I haven't I've had it. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, I've seen. What's it. your tequila? I'm a tequila guy. So actually, okay, so tequila, I don't really have the greatest relationship with it, and I think it was just because of a, a poor choice a couple of years ago. So one of my friends, she has a beautiful home in in Irvine, California. That's where I live, and uh, she was having an end of year Christmas party. And so I was over with all my gym buddies and like all the, the guys and girls over there. And me, her husband was just a big white dude. And my buddy Ish is this gigantic Mexican guy. They all decided to, ha let's have a drinking test. And I'm just like this five, six Vietnamese dude, right? So the way that the, way that the drinking contest worked was you would drink and then you'd breathe into a breathalyzer. Whoever had the highest amount won that round. What the fuck? It's the most white trash thing I've ever heard. Apparently, and now, so here's the challenge. Number one, we would, we would all take shots. Were you guys watching wrestling too? <laughs> <laughs> my drink of choice apparently is Don Julio. There's this bottle, right? This like glass bottle that it's comes good. over. And it's my favorite. It's pretty good oh, drink, it's, it's delicious, right? And then so the way it works is somehow I always was the one who breathed last. And somehow my buddy um, Ish, who's the biggest Mexican guy, breathed first, not realizing that when you drink, and you do breathalyzer, when you breathe right after drinking, you get the highest oh, amount. But for oh. me, and each time you, you breathe through it, it had to reset for two, three minutes. So oh. for me, always being last, yeah. it would reset for 10 minutes, and by that time, all the alcohol is on my breath. Oh. Next thing I know, I've consumed the entire bottle of Don Julio in one sitting, and we're going out to my buddy's garage, he's showing me his car, and, <laughs> and the whole time, like, I am not cohesive. Not cohesive <laughs> at all. God. I'm fertilizing my friend's lawn, all the things I ended up like like using her toilet like puking into all night and then so I had a little bit of a, a breakup with uh, with tequila Don. yeah Don but you still love her that's what you said you but like, I love oh, her yeah tequila's delicious I love it you you, you love taxes and tequila taxes and tequila.